Hello, and welcome to the Cash News Podcast, informative conversations about all things currency and cash. We'll share insights on the issues affecting the world of cash today, like cash security, payments technology, and the cash supply chain. Your hosts, Tom Meehan and Sean Ferrari, hope to inform industry professionals and support better cash security and management by sharing the latest information on trends, strategies, and technology. This is the Cash News Podcast. Now, here's Tom and Sean. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cash News Podcast. Uh, We have a a special guest today. We'll get to that in a second, but I just want to say hello. We're taping probably the last taping of this year, so December 17th. Why I'm saying that is, I think, just because we like to say Happy Holidays and Happy New Year ahead of time, but you probably won't hear this till till mid-January, but it'll definitely be relevant then. I am joined, as always, by my esteemed uh, co-host and friend, Sean Ferrari. And then we have a very, very special guest, Jason, who's on. And I'm going to let uh, Jason talk about who he is and where he's from in just a minute. But Sean, I'll turn it over to you. To I know we had some stuff. We saw each other a couple of weeks ago. So just do, what's going on in your world? Getting ready for the holiday. I think we, we chatted last week and kind of summarized what was going on with the executive summit. We talked about the, the trends there. I think this will be a, a great follow-on discussion from that. Delve a little deeper into those topics with, with Jason. So I think the timing works really well. You know, as Tom said, we're this is our last one of the year. It's a little bit before before the holidays. So I hope everybody had a good holiday. Um, we're hopefully going to have one as well um, in a couple <laughs> in a couple of days. But I hope everybody enjoyed the holidays and is uh, getting back into the swing of things now. I don't know, Tom, you, they might see a surprise, maybe like some sort of s- live stream from us. We're, we're talking about possibly getting getting together. Tom's visiting the area with with all the kids. So we might put all of our kids together and, and film some sort of live shot just to show everyone the, the insanity that that can happen. I don't know if it'll happen, but, but maybe anyway, enough of that. We'll get, we'll get talking about, about business. So Tom, I don't know if you want to introduce Jason or Jason, you can take it from here. And... So the, the whole live stream with the kids thing is going to be interesting. So we're not sure yet we're, we're debating. We're not even sure how many kids will be present. It's a whole thing, but the, the, I'm going to head into DC with the family and there's just no way I can be that close to Sean without seeing him. And generally when we're together, we find the need to tape a podcast that is, I'm going to guess it all have nothing to do with cash or, <laughs> or payments if we do do it. Oh, we can talk about like allowances and the use yeah, of yeah. cash in the like <laughs> six to 13 year olds. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah to give context, we'll have one, five, one, six, one, nine, one ten, right? Eleven is it? Or yeah, uh, eleven and a so, thirteen. Yeah, yeah, eleven thirteen. So we'll, we're going to basically <laughs> see if we, you know, what we can do with it. So there is a chance that we will just be recording back to you. I'm going to be honest with you. There's just a chance that we we might not actually make it work. So we might just be recording back to you. I'm sure that we will have a fun story to say, but. We are experts on live production now, as you guys know. Yeah, okay. We, were, we, we did it once, so we, we're pretty confident that we could do it again. But we've never done it without Samantha, so I'm not sure that it would be live. It would probably be a taping, and then yeah. it's probably better that way because we could decide whether or not we'll actually want to put it on because real life is with that many kids. I'm not sure how to be. But enough about that. I mean, I'm going to let Jason because he'll do a much better job of telling everybody who he is and, and what he does. Full disclosure, Jason and I have been pseudo working together for a long time from a standpoint of uh, we have mutual customers and do stuff. So I'm really excited. I'm a little disappointed it took so long, but I know now that Jason is on, we're going to have Jason as a regular and positive. He'll, he'll come back and visit us. So Jason, would you tell everybody who you are, what you do? And then I'm really excited to just get into the conversation. 
Yeah, me too. And so for, for Tom and Sean, thanks so much for uh, having me on. I'm an avid podcast listener in general. This is the first time I've, I've been a guest. So I've even hosted my own show for a period of time at a very different venue, not related to cash at all, but uh, really excited to, to be a guest. And I think for, for the listeners, uh, by way of introduction, again, I'm Jason Stambaugh. I'm the Director of Partner Experience at DTS Connects. From a role or function standpoint, I oversee um, our company's uh, customer acquisition, onboarding, support and success teams. And in terms of what DTS Connects is, really briefly, uh, we have a web-based platform uh, that contains in it a suite of online cash management tools customers use to better manage and make their daily cash operations more efficient. In general summary, you think everything that a retailer does around daily cash operations, our system has tools and solutions that are used at scale by major retailers and even banks nationwide. And kind of unique to kind of the DTS Connects experience is that one of our core goals with all of our tools is to connect our customers to their partners, whoever they may be. So we are an agnostic service where all of our solutions are designed to connect to any bank, any courier, any system, or any device. And so that's one of the values we bring to the tables. Not only do we have tools that streamline and automate various processes, but they're all designed to connect to these various partners and systems and devices to overall, at the end of the day, provide the client more oversight uh, and control and visibility uh, into those functions. So I think hopefully that gives folks enough context about me and about where I'm coming from. That was a great overview. And I think it's important to state you're seeing and, and from my perspective and from Sean's perspective as an expert kind of in the consumer trends and the cash trends area, just based on the sheer volume. Can you give like the listeners an idea of just how many retailers you, you interact with? Yeah, so we have about 190 customers, your traditional mainstream retail and restaurant chains, but we also work with a surprising number of other industries that manage cash, including healthcare, entertainment, you know, wholesalers and distributors, and, uh, and even services. So anyone who's really collecting cash payments, we have really a diverse user community and our clients are of all sizes. We have many that are in the multi-thousands that are operating with us across multiple banks and partners, et cetera. But we also have some that, you know, have a handful of stores. And so we have a really diverse user community uh, that we're working with today. Yeah. So I, I guess that leads me into it. So with that much, you probably touch a lot of locations all over the place. So what are some of the cash trends you're seeing today? And I'll, I'll kind of put a two-part question because although we say we're not going to say it, we do every every up because it's a necessity. You've been with DTS long enough to say, what was, what are some of the cash trends you're seeing today? And what are some of the newer trends based on some of the things that are occurring uh, around COVID and around some of the activities throughout the United States? Yeah, so I would say overall, I mean, our position on this is that, you know, or at least our perspective is that cash is so far from going away. In fact, we're, we're seeing, you know, retailers, restaurants, and again, anybody who's handling cash, they're making significant investments, both in time and money to overhaul their cash processes and make things more efficient. So that has been continual prior to COVID and during COVID, we really haven't seen it tapering off. And just anecdotally on the DTS Connect side, we've had some of our biggest years of growth during COVID. And I think that if I were to call out a trend, having such incredible uncertainty with business operations, with rolling closures and opens, in fact, visibility and control is far more important than it used to be. You just simply can't rely on in the era we're living in, things just being business as usual. Abnormal has become the normal. And so I think that's one of the things that's been driving, I think, a renewed interest in investment is that these gaps and visibilities and controls, they are really exacerbated 
motivated by the market uncertainty. So I would say that, you know, in terms of retailer, restaurant, you know, appetite for investment and improving your daily cash operations, we're seeing that actually increase in the COVID area versus decrease. Uh, and in terms of trends or cash utilization, I'm familiar with the Fed studies. And, if, you know, again, I, I think by percentage of tender for, for payment, you know, there's been perhaps some aggregate decline in, in cash usage. But we looked at this from our client's perspective. And one of my colleagues presented at the Association of Finance Professionals Conference this year in D.C. And ahead of that, uh, that session was really all about lessons learned from COVID that we need to take serious, prepare for the next crisis. And so it was a big survey of everything that major retailers and restaurants learned you know, during that time. Uh, but one of the stats that we pulled, we took a look at DTS Connect's cash deposits by volume for, in aggregate again, for deposit activity for same store locations in 2019, mapped those same stores in 2020 and are trending it out for, for 2021. And what we found, as you'd imagine, uh, those same store uh, cash deposits did decline in particular during the shutdown. So there was a significant dip. We do have many clients that are considered essential businesses. So they were roaring during the shutdowns. Uh, but we also work with many retailers, you know, clothing, shoes, that sort of thing. And, you know, they, they did shut down. So we did see a big dip. But as we saw, as, as we hit the latter half of the year, you know, cash certainly during holiday was way down. So we did see that 2020, but where we stand in 2021, we haven't pulled uh, any holiday stats or anything like that to see cash usage. But what we're seeing in the trend line is that certainly those same stores from 2019, their cash deposits have you know, returned to 2019 levels and in many cases have exceeded it. So we'll see what happens uh, kind of post-holiday here, but we certainly have not seen, at least from you know the perspective of customers we work with, we're seeing cash still you know, being used and returned to how it was being used in 2019. And we know there's more of it out there now, right? So I think there there will be, yeah. even though it's used less as a percentage, as you were saying, you know, in, in aggregate terms, we just know there's more cash out there. That's the data. That's the fact. People have a lot um, of dry powder. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So so will they spend it all at once? I don't know, but yeah. but it's out there and ready to be spent. And I think that's one of the things we we did talk about kind of when we gathered some folks together a couple of weeks ago that, you know, we, we've said, having worked at the Fed for a long time and uh, also throughout these conferences, we, we commonly say, oh, you know, this all this increase, this big increase is going international or it's being stored somewhere else and, and what have you. But I, I think it's time to question that historical logic. Surely some of it is, no doubt, but maybe more of it than we used to think is is actually being held and used by U.S. consumers. I, I, I think we may have relied a little bit too heavily on the uh, half to two thirds of going international. Well, I mean, maybe that used to be the case, but maybe not so much anymore. Anyway, you know, one of the, the things you were mentioning, the, the trends uh, in, in kind of cash use, and you also mentioned, obviously, the, the retailers are trying to be as efficient as as possible with, with spending this their costs and handling all the cash. What are you having so many tentacles and, and reach out into the retail space or, or the bank space for that matter. What are some of the, the trends, I guess, in that side that you're seeing in terms of how they're being being efficient in in handling? Obviously, visibility is the key, as you said, but are there are there other other trends you're seeing there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think perhaps too that directly relate to how, you know, the actual daily cash operations, the site, I think there are two big ones. The first is, and this is for, you know, retailers using Cash Vault today, we're seeing a lot of retailers looking at ways to further reduce the costs related to that cash cycle. And one of the, the kind of trending topics that we've been dealing with, you know, working with clients and our bank partners to sort through is deposit consolidation. 
because we think about, for example, a traditional retail deposit cycle, you're creating one deposit per business day, every business day, you have a courier schedule, let's say for sake of argument is Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, you're creating these seven deposits and they're being picked up you know, three times a week. And so we talk about consolidating, we're really just talking about rather than creating seven deposits that align to those three pickups, we're talking about consolidating that down uh, to only creating a deposit, you know, driven by your courier schedule. So the result of that, uh, you know, I like to say it's a less is less. If I were to generally characterize why a customer wants to do this is that the less deposits you're creating, it's the less time a store spends handling cash and doing daily preparation. It's less items for the courier to pick up and manage and track. Or even you think about that little armored log book, less items to physically write down in that book. As it applies to the bank, it's less individual bags to track and store off and, and the storage for record keeping. It's less bags to open and, and, and get the access to that cash. It's less items on the back end or recon. Because you have less items to recon, it means you have less research and exceptions, uh, which means less research. And so as we look at that, kind of that less is less, there's a ton of time savings and perhaps cost savings wrapped into modifying uh, that deposit process. So again, that is an absolute trending topic that we've been hearing clients interested in and implementing at scale in their organizations over the COVID era. So that's a big one. And I, I think, and this is perhaps a monster topic, so I'll just kind of just state generally and let you guys uh, take it where you want. But uh, there's also a significant trend in devices. So I think during the times we're living in right now, Courier service in general has become less predictable, just like everything's been less predictable. And there's a variety of other business dynamics uh, that have shifted, like uh, we think about branch banking. So a client is doing branch banking today, you dealt with branch closures. And in general, banks were generally right-sizing, I guess is a kind way to say, their branch footprints with the new market dynamics and the digital consumer. We had COVID, the closures impacted, like we're going to drop off of money if the bank isn't open anymore. We've seen branch price increases, again, really driven by consumer behavior around how you staff and manage a branch. They're just not using them the way they were. And so the revenue or the, you know, kind of the business dynamics behind a branch change, which has led to price increases, going to a client is using armored, armored cars become less predictable in the time we're living in, which has led to some price increases, some service, you know, uncertainty. So I think clients who've been relying on those depository channels, whether traditional CIT or branch banking, kind of look at themselves like, man, this is not as good as it used to be. And I think that's driving them to dust off, you know, their look at purchasing safes and recyclers, even alternative devices uh, today. And furthering that and the smart safes have been around for some time. I don't know, perhaps for version 3.0 or 4.0, depending on who you talk to of this technology. But in addition to some of the market dynamics changing that perhaps changed the ROIs or perceptions value, we're also seeing that new devices. So, you know, smaller footprint recyclers uh, and even alternative devices that are in the market that aren't quite as smart safe. They're not quite a recycler, but still have that bill validating technology. And so that's another big trend we're seeing is that for all those reasons and factors, uh, we're seeing a lot of our clients taking a fresh look at, you know, implementing or evaluating the use of those devices in their footprint. Yeah. And I think, I mean, you said you, there's a lot to, we could unpack there for sure on, on many <laughs> topics, but, but I think we, again, we mentioned it before, but I think for, and I'm not saying there should be a silver lining to COVID. We know it's been horrible, but in terms of opening kind of policy windows or windows to actually make some efficiency improvements, I think it did propel the industry forward a bit, right? Whether it's it's safety in terms of, whether it's having less staff, so you need to be more efficient, whether it's 
being more efficient because you just need to cut costs or whether it's you don't want people to be touching whether it's currency or cards or whatever, but you don't yeah. want there to be an exchange going on. <laughs> yeah, to, to that point, you hit on another major factor, the omni-channel commerce, where not only do I have to service a client over the counter, now I have to staff up or leverage a diminishing staff footprint to ship packages, to drop stuff off at curbside and service the variety of the Instacarts, DoorDashes, uh, all of this stuff takes time and it's, it's hard labor time. It's not invisible. And so I think that as you seek to figure out what the heck you do with that, you're, it's funny, a lot of retailers don't fully bake into their labor models, often every aspect of the cash cycle to take a dollar over the counter and get that same dollar to the bank. And so I think now they're starting to look at that saying, wow, that, that actually does take some time. And so, yeah, I think that's a great call out, Sean, that kind of how the consumer behavior and the net new services that are now required in COVID, we're really in an omni-channel commerce world that's you know, changing labor models and, you know, certainly uh, shining some light on areas where time can be saved, whereas before they might not have really considered it or cared how, how long an employee is spending handling cash, but now that time is gold. And you guys covered a lot. I have like a million things to put in there, but I was, you're as a role, so I don't want to interrupt there. So I, I first want to kind of talk to so you, talked about trends really early on. And just again, for the listener audience, because I, I tend to, we have a lot of guests I actually think you're in a completely different field or place than some of our other guests. Your sample size, I mean, you have more than, you're, you're able to see data for more than, what is it, 80,000 80, locations, something like that. Yeah, so we have over 80,000 locations. Yeah, yep. yeah. so when, when, you, when we talk to a lot of people, and then I'm not, this is not diminishing, you know, folks, is I think your data set is, you know, a pretty large data set to actually come to a conclusion. So I think there's value in letting listeners know that, this isn't just some another person on, on that we're, we're talking to that has an opinion. Because I know Sean and I are very like, I'm overly cautious about this is my opinion. This is Tom's opinion versus this is based on data. So um, I think that's a really important when we talk about like the deposit consolidation that you're looking at a mass number. You're not basing it on two or three people saying like, hey, we really want to consolidate. You know, even two or three huge retailers, you're basing it on a big piece. One thing I think I want to touch on, and I want—I like to get into, it's kind of the overarching here is that COVID, in my opinion, really flushed out the need for visibility and data and the fact that we really didn't know what we were doing in the past as well as we, we probably should have. That's a general statement, right? Like I know you, you have some retailers that you've probably been working with for a really long time that had phenomenal visibility, but I got to think that COVID is really driven the fact that like this, not, not only do we need to consolidate to save money, but the fact that we really need to be able to see where things are, because I know this, cause I, I was in the space. I talked to people that said, Tom, you know, we'd made a decision on Friday night to close the stores for we like literally made a decision in real time to close stores without time to even pull money out, like not even going into their normal close down procedures. And so I got to think that that data has, has been a big push. And I would assume that you're starting to see a trend where people are starting to use it differently. Uh, the question I have is, are you starting to see your data and the, some of the services that would be, I don't want to use traditional cash services used in other parts of, of the business to help? Yeah, so that's a great question, Tom. So historically, based on kind of our business, we've traditionally worked with treasury teams, which have a close relationship, obviously, with audit, you know, recon, accounting, depending on how a company is structured. 
But during uh, COVID, we actually saw a pronounced increase the number of interactions we were having with customers, loss prevention or asset protection teams. And one of the main reasons for that in COVID is that they couldn't go to a store. Not, you know, stores were shut, but I also couldn't physically visit a store on my twice annual. So the, you know, a large retailer might have 180, 200, you know, field members who perform these routine store visits to manage compliance, certainly related to cash and cash control, but also compliance related to fire exits and planograms and all sorts of fun things. And so we did see, uh, and we actually hosted a webinar that's on the DTS Connects website with a client that kind of provided in that webinar a masterclass on how they've leveraged DTS Connects data around deposit behavior uh, and safe count behavior, meaning managing that store cash inventory uh, as well as a newer tool that we have called Snaps that's designed to capture an image uh, of any anything from any device and store it in our platform, whether tied to a transaction or just in general. And so I think kind of you know these suite of tools or the data that we have and the search tools we have and have really been uh, of great interest to these asset protection teams because now I can see something without ever visiting the store. And so I think that's piqued a lot of interest in, you know, kind of the data that we have in general. But uh, yeah, so Tom, to your point, I think that, you know, we, again, we have uh, these asset protection teams now engaged going, what can I see from afar? What, how can I do my job without putting my employees at risk? Uh, but we're also seeing it extended and discovering other things that, wow, this is actually kind of nice. Like, you know, maybe I don't need to go to a store two, three times a year. Maybe I could survive with one physical audit and rely on these other image-based tools. So that SNAPS tool I mentioned, the inspiration for that was that armored car log that's needed. And every time there's an exception item that is believed to be missing, that log is requested from the field and there's no great way to do that today. So that was the original intent. But now we're seeing that used for planograms, uh, managing compliance of like where, where things are featured in the store and many other types of physical logs that are kept that can't be audited otherwise. So I think that's, that's spot on. That is something we've been seeing and I, this is perhaps not related to COVID, but it seems that in the kind of the big data environment, the machine learning, the AI, there's lots of software out there that companies use to find trends and interesting exceptions in very, very large data sets. So these teams are very interested in the data that DTS Connects has specifically around cash. We have the whole story of a deposit from the moment it's created, clear through that process, the bank verification. On the change order side, we know exactly what was ordered, means for customers to log change order exceptions. And so there has been a renewed interest, I think, in providing automated data feeds to feed those EBR systems. And so we have multiple projects right now uh, that we're working with clients on. And we kind of think that's a that's going to be a trend that everybody is going to be asking for for that data. I did see the webinar, so um, I, I did see some of it, but I, I'm just constantly talking to people as I travel and it's the need for visibility, the need for data, the need to do more with one tool than you needed to do before. And to step outside that linear path of cash is cash, well, can we do other things too? I, I want to touch a little bit on devices. I know you guys were talking and you, you made the comment um, of you know the safe progression and like what version of the, the smart safe and recycle are on today. This is one of these things that, it, you know, both from the cash news standpoint and in just Sean and I daily conversations, I'm sure, you know, when we talk to people, it comes up a lot of what are you seeing as a trend with devices? Again, you have a different perspective because you're neutral on the devices, right? Like you're, you're, you're a service provider that says like, hey, we want to help you figure out your cash. You don't really 
you know, you don't really favor one device over another. I'm speaking for you. So if I'm wrong, <laughs> it, is, it is true. It is, yeah. That is super true. We're never going to make a device. We're never going to be an armored carrier. There's lots of things that we're <laughs> never going to do. <laughs> For our perspective on these, these devices, they are another, another way that folks are managing cash and kind of where I started with the platform from a platform perspective, we're deeply committed to connecting a client to their partners. And so, yeah, we've, I think kind of to your question, some of the things we're hearing in particular from clients that have an existing estate where they're using these devices or considering new ones, I think, I think one of the important call outs to make, and again, this is all anecdotal, you know, I don't have some survey here that says this, but an observation and, you know, from a DTS perspective, we're very familiar with the traditional cash flow process. But when you bring a safer recycler into that environment, it breaks lots of things. Like there are great devices and equipment, but they do break a lot of in-store functions and require significant process change. Uh, they require significant adaptation on the back end to manage and measure and to re recon that data. And so we're, we're really seeing clients that are, you know, from our perspective that have an existing estate looking at ways that they, they can streamline and automate those, those processes. They want to get data connected. So we're seeing a lot of that from existing estate. And I certainly think for the new format of devices, the DTS Connects team, we hosted an event that wasn't about DTS at all. It was really about our partners and the folks that we've worked with that have interesting, interesting solutions. We had a tremendous turnout of members of our user community to come check out you know, the latest small footprint recycler or a device that's not quite a recycler and not, you know, and not quite a smart safe and not quite a weight-based or friction scale. And so I think there's a ton of interest, uh, again, going back to what I said, I think reevaluating the ROI, I think the, the innovations here are giving clients uh, some new opportunities to implement. And I think you guys have been around the smart safes perhaps uh, a lot as well, but they're kind of big and like, where do you put them? And, you know, store footprints are like super planned out and, you know, putting that piece of hardware in, it's like, well, we can shoehorn it under this particular day. You know, it's, it's hard to figure out. So I do think Tom, specifically the small footprint devices, clients might really love, for example, the value of a recycler, but historically they've been enormous. And it's like where back office cash rooms are like a four by four room. I mean, there's, you go in for a store visit and you know, you shut the door and you're like, wow, we could fit maybe three people in here. This, this feels like a very small area. It's like, where would you put a recycler, you know, next to the cook pot? Like, I don't know, but these smaller footprint devices are changing, uh, I think are changing perception, perhaps giving people new opportunities, which is really, really exciting. So I think, I think it's important to say this because I may have met with several people and I think Sean actually was there one time where I said, I'm consistently hearing you need something smaller. I'm not a safe manufacturer. I just, working with Sean, traveling my past. I'm like, I don't know how taking my cash news out, some of our customers in the control tech side don't physically have room. There's, they really don't. There is no, for real estate, for retailers, every inch of that store is money. So if you have to put something somewhere, you, you know, you're taking up your real estate. So I know the folks I'm talking to are listening and I continuously say like, get it. The smaller form factor yep. is really what, at least all of the folks I know personally and professionally are saying like, yeah, I would love it. It would be amazing. But uh, every inch of the store is utilized. And most, this is, uh, I'm speaking factually because I did this, most new construction retail, the back room offices are, you know, there are no, they want no office space. You know, we want everything as much as you can because that every bit of retail of the retail floor that you give up is dollars. It's plain and simple. So 
I'm glad you brought it up. I didn't prompt Jason, by the way, to bring that up, but it's, it's, it's something that I hear so regularly now that it, it's, it, it, it's crazy. And then Sean and I spent some time in the cannabis conference and I, I do some stuff. It's the same exact thing. They already have big safes to cover things. They need to get their cash smaller, compact than, than they have it. It's, it's the same, same exact challenge. So that, I think that was, that was something I was really glad you brought up because I think for the listeners here, it benefits all of us, every one of us to be able to make the form factor work. No, sorry. I was going to say, and it's not just the form factor. It's, it's the other point you brought up in terms of it, it breaks stuff, right? You need, oh, yeah. and that's the other thing we heard a lot over the past years is that there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of thought to how to actually use this thing after it was sold and put in. It was like, here you go. Here's a, here's a box and it, you know, and people are like, uh, what do I, how does, how does it, work how do i alter my cash my literal movement of cash <laughs> to, to accommodate this thing and people just didn't put a whole lot of thought into that sort of business process um innovation around it and work and now now i think they are and i think also the the other trend now both to space and form function um and how the cash is handled that's kind of coming to fruition, I guess, is the whole like customer facing side of things, like actually moving that recycler to do its job on the floor (laughs) so it can actually take in and hopefully somewhat effectively put cash back out. And I know that's still a little ways away to get that full functionality out there, but I think that trend will will help that. Actually, I was going to bring up that in addition to some of the form factor, and I, I didn't mention smaller cassettes. So outside of recyclers just not being the size of a freezer, making them in a smaller footprint, it's like, you know, even the traditional smart safe, much smaller cassettes are available now in a very tiny package. It's like the size of like a computer tower. But in terms of those self-service kiosks, you know, this has been a new thing that just in the last six months that we've been exposed to amongst our existing user community are, hey, we're buying these kiosks, whether they're a recycler or not, may or may not be connected, most likely they're not, to the back office uh, smart safe or recycler unit. So now we have an entirely new ecosystem where we have fleets of devices and, you know, I, I'm not an expert in the industry, so I know perhaps many of the mainstream safe and recycler providers may have a range of self-service kiosks, but they don't seem to be interconnected. A lot of the kiosks that I've been hearing about aren't the names that you typically hear that are selling, you know, managed services around safes and recyclers. And so there's a whole new ecosystem of what do you do if you have seven self-service units out front and you got the big machine in the back? Like, how do you know that when the employee emptied the cassette in the front recycler that you know, thousand bucks they removed from the contents actually made its way to the safe. And right now, you know, I don't know. So these are all that new fun problems that I'm sure on the DTS side, we're going to be sorting through with clients in the years to come. But, you know, absolutely, that is a perfect call out, but that is a major shift in the omni-channel COVID era where now we're getting these things out the floor, reducing employee interaction with customer. That's a net new problem that the industry is going to have to sort through. I, I think there's a couple of things and I actually didn't write a note because I, you guys, again, when you guys are talking and you're bringing up so many different things, one is my whole entire career has been based on technology, but we, in, and definitely in the retail space, and, and I, I don't think as much in the banking, but I'm starting to see the trend in, in retail. And I, I was a director of technology for a large retailer. So I can say this with that. It's always, well, what technology can we throw at it to fix this problem? And the challenge is, the learning curve, the implementation is not easy. You, forced innovation is bad. It, and um, you know, I wrote an article about this. I've spoken about this. Forced innovation, trying to keep up with with someone else, is bad, and it creates all sorts of challenges that are unknown. And I think you know, smart safes are not new, but just it isn't as simple as just plugging it in and going like, "Cool, we're ready. We've got this done." There's so much that goes with it. 
And then this is a, not a self-fulfilling prophecy from a control tech standpoint. We see in Europe, we see it now is we have to get away from cassettes. Cassettes are a pain in the ass. Sorry. I mean, they really are. You can, you can do a self-sealing bag. It allows you to be tamper-evident. It allows you to, to move very quickly. France is fully done. There are two major players in the U.S. that are pushing it. And yes, I, I do manufacture bags for a living. But the reality is that there's just things you can do with the bags, RFID enabled, that with cassettes are a problem. And they don't break as much. Cassettes are a nuisance. Everybody that I know who's rolled it goes like, God, these cassettes, it's miserable. They break. And that's just the life. It's not, it's not that they're poorly made. So I thought that that was one to touch, but I, I would say the kiosk units that I'm seeing are bolt-ons. And it's again, that, that forced innovation, we got to do this because this company did it. We don't want to be left behind. We don't, we can't hire people. And my favorite example, and it's a real one is, I can't remember when it was many years ago when McDonald's did the kiosk and they were, they did that. I, I, my office was on 55th and third. And one of the, the, the first lab stores was two blocks away and it was a disaster. Like the, and it, it was a disaster for the consumer. It was a disaster for this. And I got to watch it every day. Like I'm not a big McDonald's guy, but I got tech because of the technology. I got to watch the, the transition. And what ended up happening is McDonald's very intelligently layered. Well, we're going to have kiosks, but we also have people and um, everybody who did it is like, oh, they're going to get rid of people. I'm like, you know how hard it is to make this actually work, <laughs> you know, from a consumer standpoint, everything. So I continuously hear the kiosk angle. And, I, and this is what I do for a living. I, I talk about risk for retailers. If you're not assessing what goes on when you put the kiosk in, it's, it isn't even a band-aid. It's a big, big transition to have a self-service payment kiosk put in. There's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that comes out of it. Everybody I know who's done it both from the industry that I'm just friends with or working with directly go, wow, you know, there were a lot of things that, that came And to your point is you're almost never buying it from the same person. So, you know, oh, well, there's APIs. It's easy. And I know you're in software. You still, someone still has to do the work. Someone still has to maintain it. Someone has to make sure it's safe. Someone has to patch it. Someone has to figure it out. Someone has to fix the hardware. Someone has to train the people. So there's all those things. So, Sean and I often talk about this on the, on the show of like, you know, digital payments. We talk about, oh, it's better. It's easier. It's cheaper. Is it? Is well, it? Is it? Is it? Is it? Right. I, yeah. I mean, I think the other thing on the kiosk that kind of bridges that is I heard a story while we were in Chicago about a fast food retailer whose offices are right down the street, who you already mentioned, Tom, who, you know, put in a bunch of kiosks. None of them, I think, as we know right now, don't they? They don't take cash, right? So they're they're you have to still take an extra step to spend cash. You got to go to the cashier. And what some of the research was showing was that that was actually costing them sales, right? It was people were walking out. They would like place the order, <laughs> and then like wait, I have to wait in this line to actually. It's taking too long. I don't. I'm out, and they would leave um, before they paid. And and I. The story, as it was relayed anyway, was that, you know, the, some of the, the treasury folks and the management came back and said, these things are actually costing us sales. So fix it or get rid of them. <laughs> but they're they're not working as intended. So, I mean, there are a lot of things. It's not as easy as just moving to a digital payment, right? Because yeah. there's plenty of people that want to spend cash and get annoyed when there's a whole extra step involved to spend yeah. it. Yeah. And I think I, I want to say this because, it, it, you know, I'm not shy. I actually applaud McDonald's for trying it and, and figuring it out because in retail, it's very hard to take to be the first and, and you get a lot of backlash, right? Labor, technology. So I applaud them. And, and I think now, and I can say this, I, I remember going to Frankfurt and they had the kiosk or the person. It, it was 
the perfect unified commerce situation in fast food where they're catering to the customer the way the customer wants to be uh, be done. And that, I think, Jason, you hit on it probably more than a dozen times, and we're not going to have time to talk about it today, is that this e-com and this unified commerce piece of retailers really have to address that. Again, I lived this for 22 years, so I have a different perspective. I, I actually, my first retail job, we didn't have email. There was no website. I actually watched that progression and grew in that progression from a junior person to a senior level person and a retailer. And I will tell you that on the outside, it looks easy, but it is there is a daunting amount of things. And everybody forgets that I didn't work, you know, my rounding out, I only had 18,000 employees to worry about training. Let me just tell you something, 18,000 employees that trying to figure out how to train them to do something. It's a monumental task. And then you have a million customers that you have to train. It is a, it, an, an enormous task. And then if you're in the cash world, your armored carry needs to be trained. Your banks need to be trained. Everybody needs to be trained. So there's a whole a whole host of things that come up there. I knew that we would not cover everything we wanted to talk about, Jason. So we, we, we started that as that. So I really, I would love to have you back even within a month or so, because I know we want to talk about the coin shortage. I know we want to talk about other things. And again, your perspective is actually very different than what we've had, because most of the folks that we've had on are really in the banking world talking about trends from that side, where you're touching almost 100,000 locations that are actually doing it. So your perspective is just so valuable for our listener base. So I thank you for coming on. I know we went a little over, so I appreciate that because I'm sure you have something to do. So thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I think um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll ask probably in the next month or so if you can come on just to finish up because I know I want to talk about data. I want to talk about the coin shortage and some of the things you're hearing with that. And um, I really appreciate it. So- Thank you so much for joining us. Sean, any final words? No, I just thank Jason as well. I mean, it was a great discussion. I know we'll be be playing this in January, I think, at, at some point. Um, so I would remind any listeners that we are still hosting our banknote and currency conference in D.C. late in February. So, uh, you know, be on the lookout for that. I'm going to talk to Jason after this. Maybe I can get him on a panel there. Got a lot, to, a lot of insights. But nonetheless, thank you for, for taking the time. And as Tom said, we definitely want to have you back to talk about more more stuff. So, well, thanks, guys. As I started out it's the first time I've been a guest. I'm glad that I've been enough guests to walk back uh, for for another show. And it's it's been a pleasure and, and happy happy to join you guys. Thank you again. And so, for all the listeners, just in case we're going to say it, even though you'll be listening to later, everybody have a, a really healthy, happy New Year. It's been 650 days with COVID. So I think next year we're going to stop nine, almost 90 weeks, right? It might be 91 weeks now. I'm, I'm trying to, I can't do math anymore, but I just everybody spend the time with your family. And again, Jason, thank you so much. Please give Lou and Josh my best. So, you know, I'm, I'm super excited. It's always good when it's someone that I actually know on, on as a guest. And um, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. But with that, we're going to sign off. Please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Again, Sean and I were together and we were actually with people. They're like, oh yeah, I listen to it all the time, but I don't know how to subscribe to it. It really does help us. We love that people are listening, but hit the subscribe button. If you can give us a review, it helps. We're available on every single platform. So if you listen to podcasts anywhere, you can hear us. We're on YouTube. You can actually see us. And then thank you to our producer, as always, Samantha. We'll see you soon. Everybody stay safe. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Cash News Podcast. We hope you found this episode insightful. Don't forget to like and review us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 
Follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter, and be sure to visit us at thecashnews.com to stay up to date with the latest on the world of cash. Thanks again for listening to the Cash News Podcast.